Uh, it's so great to be here. I love your church. And uh, are you guys okay this morning? That was about 18 people in the front row. Is everybody okay even up the back? It's about 23 people as well. Is it that cold in Melbourne this morning? Just, 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 can you just touch your neighbor just to make sure that they're alive, just that there's blood running through their veins? Just look at them and say, you are beautiful. I'm so glad I'm sitting next to you. You're very beautiful. I just saw a husband kiss his wife in the congregation. That was a great moment. That it was his wife. I hope it was his wife. If not, he owes me money afterwards for creating that incredible moment. Uh, I just want to say massive thank you to Pastor Nick and, uh, and uh, Pastor Charles and April. You know, I, I feel a part of the family. Love you guys very, very much. Honored to be here. What an incredible church you guys have in such a, uh, a short amount of years uh, to be able to, to grow in size, but more than that, grow in number. This amazing, man, I would, give, I would literally give. Uh, at least one to three toes for a building like this uh, for my own church. And, uh, and it's just amazing. And the Hope Center that's just been open, uh, which I'm going to go see later on, I saw it was when it was in the middle of being built. And, uh, and so it's great to be here. Uh, I, I pastor a church in the Philippines called Favor Church. I'll talk a little bit about it later on, but uh, I'm married to a beautiful woman named Kate. Uh, I think we got a photo of her just so that you can know a little bit about me. There she is. Uh, she is far, far, far more attractive than I am, and, uh, and I put a picture of me with her so that you didn't think that I cut it out of a magazine <laughs> at all. Uh, we've been married uh, just over nine years, nine years last month we've been married. Uh, when we walk down the street, people look at us and they're like, mm, he must have money. He must have. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't. I just have an unbelievable personality. And... Uh, and and uh, th just over three years ago, she gave me an incredible present, the best present she could have given me, and it was my eldest daughter, Hope Milani. And, uh, and there she is. She is she's just so precious, and uh, she, she's beautiful. Um, she's just over three, so I've never met a person in my life that I love with all my heart and then hate their very existence <laughs> and then love again within a 45-second space. And every parent said, amen. We all know what that means. And, uh, and so uh, she's just the, the joy of my life. And, and uh, just over 18 months ago, my wife gave me a second present, which was really good. And it was my, my little baby girl. Her name is Sienna Brave. And, and my children are rock stars in the Philippines. Everywhere they go, people take photos of them. And, and when we're eating dinner, they'll just come up and take a selfie with them. Uh, some waitresses will just grab my children, uh, which my wife freaked out about. Uh, the first time it was quite funny and uh but they haven't been kidnapped yet praise god so it's a good good answer to prayer and uh and we love being there i was born in the philippines i lived there for 11 years of my life uh my dad's australian my mom's a new zealander i went to an american school in the philippines but i am aussie get i my a gown my dad's from newcastle and he's a fitter and tanner that's, that's as much Aussie as I have. Uh, so I'm half Australian. I'm half New Zealander as well. Is there any Kiwis here this morning? Wow, we have one. Kia ora, two. That's awesome. What a multi-ethnic church we have here. <laughs> and, uh, and so now I moved to the Philippines two years ago, and um, I don't think, I think Charles got it wrong. I, don't, I didn't say I want to be there for the next 50 years. I want to die in the Philippines. Um, I love the place, and it's the most frustrating country on the planet, and there's multiple times every week that I just want to punch people. Um, but nothing grows your relationship with Jesus like three-hour traffic jams, right? It just, it, it just, it, it's good. So, um, amen, amen, amen. What time do I have to finish? No one told me. Whenever I want? Oh, that's scary. This would be a good day. Is that picture still up? I don't even know why you still have that picture up there. It makes me feel good. I'm looking at the bathroom and going, gee, that girl's hot. Yeah, she, woo, he's a good-looking boy. Look at him. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, this morning I want to preach from a simple thought uh, called this, if you're taking notes, which I hope at least three people are, um, so that you remember the incredible wisdom I'm about to lay down on you. Uh, the title of my sermon simply is this, In the Waiting. Say, In the Waiting. Everyone say, In the Waiting. Uh, who here loves to wait? 
who here just loves, like you, you go to Centerlink and it's like there's a huge line and you're like, thank God. I had nothing better to do. This, you know, who here loves traffic jams, right? Who here, I, right? No one, no one. I, I grew up in a time, and, and I love that I get to speak to this congregation because I know I'm about to speak to a lot of people here, is that uh, I grew up in a time um, when the Internet, uh, we had something called dial-up modem. Listen to me, young people. Dial-up modem. It's when we had real phones as well. Remember when we used to use real phones in the house? So, di- does anyone remember dial-up modem? You'd have like an argument with your siblings or something like, get off the phone. No, I'm talking to my boyfriend. He's like, no, get off the phone. I want to. And you finally get, because you only had one phone line, except those rich punks had two phone lines. Remember that? The rich kids, they had one for internet and one for talking to their girlfriends. And so we had one, and you'd get on and be like, Remember that? Is that bringing back nightmares for anyone? Right. We go on. I'd like, I, I, I love NBA. Like, I love basketball. So all of a sudden, you know, NBA.com is a new website. So I'd, I'd load the picture, and it would just start coming. Remember when it would load a picture? Like this, I'd go to the toilet. You know, I'd go make myself a sandwich. I'd go for a run around the block. I'd come back, and it would finally just be nearly loading by the end, I, I, I hated waiting. Now, I get frustrated when I can't download a high-definition movie in five minutes. Right? <laughs> used to take me ten minutes to download a stupid photo. Now, I'm getting frustrated. What? Why isn't my smartphone that's more powerful than the computer that sent the man to, my moon, to the moon? Why isn't it working right now? Right? Does anyone? I hate it. Anything incredible, God sent me to the Philippines. <laughs> I hate waiting. It's amazing because I found that in so many of our Christian walks that God gives us a dream and gives us a vision and speaks to us about something in the future or something that he wants to do in our lives, but most of the time it doesn't happen instantly. And the time between when he speaks and the time between when it happens can be the most frustrating, disheartening amount of time, whether it's one day, one week, 10 years, or 50 years. Today I want to talk about being in the waiting. I want to look at two different guys uh, in the Bible that, that God gave them a promise and they handled it very, very differently. The first one is the story of Abraham. It's found in Genesis 12 and verse 1. Uh, we got it on the screen for all those that aren't Christian and didn't bring your Bible today to church. It said this, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who you bless and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed by you. So you have to understand something about Abram at this age. He's 70 years old. His wife is barren, can't have a kid. And God says that you're going to have a family that's more numerous than the stars. You're going to give birth to a nation and Abram's sitting there with his barren wife going, mm, I don't know if this is going to happen or not. Sixteen years later, he tried to birth the promise himself with uh, his wife's maiden, Sarah, gave birth to Ishmael at 86 years old. It was at the age of 100, 30 years later, that Sarah finally gave birth to the son that God had promised. 30 years from the time that God spoke to Abram, to when the promise came. The other guy I want to look at today is David, King David. How many of y'all love King David in the Bible? Isn't King David amazing? King David just makes me feel better about making mistakes in my life. Everyone that made mistakes giggled. All the perfect people just sat very quietly. It said this in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil. And go to Bethlehem, find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I've selected one of his sons to be my king. Down in verse 10, Samuel goes to Jesse, and it says, In all the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, Are are these all the sons that you have? There is still a youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down and eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. Isn't it amazing if someone described you as this? He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. 
I don't even know what that means, but it, it sounds beautiful. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil that he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. David in his teens, as a teenager, was anointed to be king over the whole of Israel. And it took 20 years for that promise to happen. Are you getting a bit of a theme in this? The theme simply is that when God speaks, usually there's time between when he speaks and when it comes to fruition. And there's a great reason that there's time because we need to grow and we need to become the people who God needs us to be when that promise comes to fruition. Because God's looking for people not to do things in their own strength, but God's looking for people to rely on him. That's why Psalm 27, 13, it says this, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And so I want to share with you just three simple thoughts today about this on, on how to live your life in the waiting. Is that okay? Yeah. Are we all alive? Yeah. Can you just wave your hand so you can show me that you're alive? Thank goodness. This is the first thing is simply this, is that in the waiting, God grows us into what his promise demands from us. In the waiting... God grows us into what his promise demands from us. The waiting period is not a time where you just sit around waiting for God to finally bring the promise that he told you as a young person or bring the promise that he told you in your middle age or even in your elderly age, bring that new fresh promise. We'll just sit there because God is God and if God is almighty and all powerful, then he'll just make it work. No. The waiting period is a time that we need to grow because the promise that God's given us is going to demand us to grow. What did David do in his waiting period? David didn't just sit around for 20 years waiting to become king. You know what he did? He started by tending sheep. Some of us get a promise of God, you're going to do these great things, and we think we're ready the next day. No, God's never going to give you something huge until you've proven yourself in the little. Before David got a kingdom, guess what? He got some smelly, stinky sheep. And he had to love and he had to protect the sheep. And it says in the Bible that he protected his sheep from the lion and the bear. And it kind of just goes quickly over that. Let's just take a moment to think about that. A lion and a bear. A lion came and David killed the lion. And it's like a footnote in the Bible. If, if that was me, I would have created a book in the Bible called The Day I Killed the Lion. Verse 1. It was a warm day. Right? He, he protected the sheep. He put his life on the line against a bear. This wasn't a cuddly bear. It wasn't a little teddy bear. It was a bear intent on killing something and David put his life on the line to protect the sheep so that by the time he went to the front line of the war against the Philistines and he saw all the Israelites scared and he saw Goliath he knew that he could take Goliath because he'd already beaten a lion and he'd already defeated a bear and so he stood up and he defeated Goliath <laughs> hits him in the head how many of you learned about that story in children's church? When you went to children's church, they lied to you. Because they said that David killed the Goliath when he, when he hit the stone. That's not what happened. The stone knocked him down. He went, he got the sword, he cut his head off, lifted the head. Ah. They don't tell you that in kids' church. Johnny, what'd you learn in kids' church today? Oh, mom. David, blood, God's head. I want to kill someone for Jesus, right? That's <laughs> David's a kid, and he cuts the head off a, a, a giant. He didn't start there. He started tending sheep. And then all of a sudden, when he defeated Goliath, his stature began to grow as a leader. And as a person, it says in 1 Samuel 18, 5, that whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. He was good in the small things. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war and an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. 
David was a young man. For him to be made a commander over, over other people and the officers to like it meant that David had earned their trust, had earned their respect in the small things so that when he was given the big things, people were happy with it. And then, then he had the biggest almighty issue with a father-in-law that anyone's had. You think you got issues with your in-laws. David's father-in-law, the king Saul, wanted to kill him, banished him, ran after him. Tried everything in his power to kill him. David ends up in this cave. It says in 1 Samuel 22, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. And then this is when it gets crazy. It says, then the others began coming. The others. Men who were in trouble or in debt, who were just discontented. Until David was the captain of about 400 men. David is in a cave with all his family. And 400 of the most messed up, discontented, angry criminals, people that were in debt. He was called, anointed with oil to lead a nation. And all of a sudden, he's on the run for his life with 400 messed up people. If I was David, I'd be sitting there going, God, what about the promise? You gave me the promise and I'm here What's happening here? But here was the reality. Before David could lead a nation, he had to learn how to lead sheep. He had to learn how to lead people in the army. And then he had to learn how to take 400 discontented, screwed up, messed up, angry, hurt, abused, I have offense with my leader people, and turn them into the best fighting army the world had ever seen. And then he was crowned king of Judah. And then seven years later, he was crowned king over all Israel. We can see the steps that David took in his life from a teenager to eventually becoming a king. This is the reality is this, is that God will give you a glimpse of where you're going so that you know who you need to become by the time you get there. Let me say that again. God will give you a glimpse of where you're going so that you know who you need to become by the time that you get there. And let me, just, let me just quickly say this real quickly. As a young man, I say this quite humbly. This could be taken as a young person's sermon. Like, well, this is just to the young people because you got their whole lives ahead of you. Let me tell you, if you have breath in your lungs, God is not done with you. He's not done speaking to you. If he was done, you would be dead. But you're not dead. You're alive. My grandfather... This incredible preacher, he retired, and he said, James, I'm not retiring, I'm refiring. <laughs> and my grandfather, God spoke to him more in the last 10 years of his life than he did in the previous 63 years of his life. My granddaddy, in a bed, cancer riddling his body, about to die in three days, was still witnessing to nurses as they walked in his room, reading his Bible, learning new things about God. So listen to me so clearly, and I say this so respectfully and humbly, is this, if you got breath in your lungs, God can still speak to you. God can still grow. You haven't finished growing yet. You haven't reached perfection yet. Just ask your spouse. You still got breath in your lungs. God can still use you. God can still grow you. So God will give you a glimpse even in more mature age of where you're going so you'll know who you need to become by the time that you get there. Here's the reality, though. Some of us here have a promise from God, but the truth is we're not ready for it yet. And if you're sitting here and you have a promise from God and you know that God's done something inside your life and it hasn't happened yet, and you're going, why God? Why God? Why God? Here's your answer. You're not ready. Thus saith the Lord, Shakaka. I am the voice of the Lord today to tell you, you're not ready. Don't get angry about it. Start asking God, okay, what do I need to do? Without this time that you have of being in the waiting, you'll never become what the promise demands. And is that hard? Is that frustrating? Of course it is. Can I be real with you for a second? It absolutely sucks sometimes. It's annoying. It's frustrating. You know what's when it's the worst? When you see somebody else and they start walking in their promise or they got that job promotion or they left their job to start their own business, and it's what God talked to you about, but you're not ready, but obviously they are, and you start learning, ah! why them? 
hate them. No, I love them, Jesus. I love them. No, I hate them. I love, right? We had that. I love it because in Psalm chapter 13, we see David's frustration. And, and, and sometimes you read the psalm like it's, it's got like a harp behind it all the time. So we read psalm and we go this, Psalm 13 verse 1. It's like a harp. There's birds flying around. There's a bubbling creek and a, there's a deer beside the creek panting for the water. Right? And we read through, oh, Lord. How long will you forget me? Forever. <laughs> right? That's how we read it. How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with my anguish in my soul, with my sorrow in my heart every day? Right? That's how we read it. That's not how it was written. This is how it was written. This was written by a man in a cave with 400 people that were annoying him. Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? Right? I'm not exaggerating this. David didn't write this with a harp. He wrote this out of frustration. He's been anointed to be king, but he's stuck in a cave. How long will you look the other way, God? How long must I struggle with sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn, answer me, oh Lord, my God. Where are you? He's angry. This psalm makes babies cry. <laughs> Look how emotional he is. He's like, restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. What is it about David and his eyes? I don't understand. It's always about his eyes. Don't let my enemies gloat, say we've defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. And then verse 5 comes, and verse 5 gives us a but. Let me tell you, there's something powerful about a good but. We all need to get the revelation of a but in our lives. We all need a but because in his anger, in his frustration, in his discontent, in his ah, king, 400 men, father-in-law trying to kill me. This is what he says. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. Instead of looking at everything God hadn't done, he began to look at what God had done. And he declared, I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. You know what David did? He acknowledged his pain. He acknowledged his frustrations. Some Christians have this kind of persona that I got to be perfect. How are you doing today? Oh, good brother. The Lord has blessed me. Hallelujah. Shekinah glory. And we, and we have this pressure that we have to, everything has to be good. We got to be perfect Christians. The devil can't touch me because I'm a Christian. Sometimes life sucks. Sometimes you have a tough week. And sometimes we need to acknowledge where we're at. God, you gave me the promise, and I'm stuck here. Why? It's annoying. It's frustrating. I'm angry. But thank you that you love me. But thank you you died on the cross for me. But thank you that I've grown this far. But thank you that I'm not lost, but I'm found. And I will choose today to love, to sing, and to praise you. Some of us today in the waiting right now, we need to be okay with acknowledgement. But we don't, we don't just stay in frustration. We don't stay angry. We don't stay bitter. We don't stay offended. We need a but in our lives. You need an encounter with a holy but. That's awkward. in the waiting when you begin to grow your character it's in the waiting when you begin to grow your grow your trust of God it's in the waiting when you grow your patience your skills your leadership it's in the waiting where you begin to grow your integrity integrity is one of if not the most important thing that you can have in your life integrity is what you do when no one else is watching without the waiting you'll fail and you'll never become the person that God wants you to be number two is this is that in the waiting, trust in God. Don't give birth to an Ishmael. Genesis 16, 1, let's look at Abraham. 
goes, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, Abram, let the Lord, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. The Bible is crazy. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. This is a reality. Abraham and his wife Sarah didn't trust God that he would fulfill his promise through her. So they tried to make the promise happen their own way. They tried to rush the promise. They tried to cut corners to make it happen their own way. The reality is this. We can never rush or shortcut the promise of God. When God makes a promise, he will make a way, but he'll make a way in his time, not your time and not my time. And is that frustrating once again? Yes. Thank you for being alive. So many times we want to make our own way. I love, I preached this earlier this week, but that's why I love and I hate Psalm 119, verse 105, the most spiritual, beautiful verse in the Bible, but really it's the most frustrating verse in the whole entire Bible because it says, your word is a lamp to God my feet and a light for my path. Isn't that beautiful? <gasps> what a beautiful verse. Let's write a song about it. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light. I'm just seeing how many Christians we have in this place. My path. Right, what a beautiful verse. I, I love it and I hate it with all my heart. The reason why I love it is because it's in the Bible and you're supposed to love the Bible. The reason why I hate it is because I wish it said, thy word is a big spotlight unto my whole path. <laughs> Showing me everything. Avoid that person. Don't talk to that person at church. Don't take that job. Don't marry that person. You know, whatever it is. And it would be a whole light that lights up my whole path and tells me everything right from wrong. So when God gives me that promise for the future, I know exactly what I'm going to do. It doesn't say that. It says, a, a lamp into my feet and a light into my path, which means that God will give you the next step. Which means that you have to trust in God. You cannot not trust in God and fulfill his promises. You have to. And so it's a lamp and it's a light. And so I know that, okay, God, I trust you with that next step. And even though I may not know where the path leads, I can see the end. I can see the promise, but I've got to trust each step that I take. When we try and make the promise happen ourselves, we can birth something that was never intended. And for those that don't realize, when Abram gave birth, when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, that Ishmael became the family line where the Islamic faith began. And when Abram actually waited and God's promise came forth is that when they gave birth to their son Isaac is that Isaac's family line became the family line where Jesus was born. I don't want to ever get in a place where I don't trust God with the promise he's given me that I try and create a shortcut and give birth to an Ishmael. David had an opportunity to create his own path to get his promise. It said in 1 Samuel 24, when he's hiding out with all his guys, says that the place where the road passes sheepfold, Saul, the guy who's trying to kill him, the current king, that the moment that Saul dies, David steps into the anointing and the promise, says he came into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in the cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into power to do with you as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Can I just put in there while he's relieving himself? But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. David had the perfect chance to kill Saul. All his dudes, his bros, his commanders, do it, do it, do it. He got close, he caught up. And this, I love the honor in David. Isn't it amazing? He felt guilty about just cutting a piece of the robe of the Lord's anointed. But you know what? David had a revelation and he understood this. It was maybe his time, but wasn't the Lord's time. And he knew he needed to wait for the Lord's time. He knew that the promise that was given to him as a teenager, no matter how frustrating the journey had been, would come to pass, would come to fruition in the Lord's time. Four years ago, 
four years ago this month, I, I had no children, I had a beautiful wife, and I, I had a great job, an unbelievable job. I had a great house, a great growing church, 10 minutes from the beach in Perth, which is the best beaches in the whole of Australia. Everything was great, 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 great. And I decided to take a vacation with my wife to the Philippines. Great, 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 great. I had never been back to the Philippines since I graduated high school. It had been 12 years. My wife had never been. I, I really wanted to take her to show her why I was the way I was, why I laugh at some stupid things, why I eat rice every day of my life, and why I touch people all the time when I talk, right? All these weird Filipino things that I'd only realized later on in life is because I was born and raised there. And so we flew in there, and I'll never, ever forget, I, I, I remember uh, getting off the, the, the plane and walking up the aero bridge, and I'm walking the aero bridge, and all of a sudden the humidity hits me, and I'm there, and I, and I, and I take a step, and I put my feet on, on the terminal floor, and I feel instantly God whisper in my spirit, you're home. And for the next two weeks, I, I was a mess. I was crying all the time. I was emotional. My wife, no emotion whatsoever. I'm like, baby, I feel God speaking. I feel, I feel like God's, I feel like God's saying we got to move here. She's like, nope, God's not saying that. Shut up. <laughs> I'm like, babe, you got to pray. She's like, nope, I'm not praying. Literally, I'm not praying. I'm not a Christian for two weeks. I'm not praying. Let me sit on a beach, have a drink, and enjoy the sun. I don't want to hear from God. I'm like, but baby, there's children. Look at the children. Look at the children. She's like, I'm not looking at those children at all. God spoke to me. Here's the thing. I could have gone literally the next day. God spoke. I was ready. I was, well, here's the reality. I thought I was ready. It took two years from when God spoke. And, and listen, two years is actually quite a short time when you're talking about God speaking and promises. But it took two years to the month from when God spoke to when we moved. And you know what? Even though at the time I was so frustrated and I could have gone the very next day and moved there the very next day, I'm so grateful to God for that two years. In the next two years, our church exploded. I learned so much about how to run church and run staff and, and got experience and began to preach more and, and began to increase and grow my capacity as a leader, as a husband, as a person. I began to fall more in love with Jesus. And I'm so thankful that it took two years for me to get there. And in fact, probably would have been better if it taken three or four, but I'm happy with the two years. And, and, and I grew as a, and I'm so thankful it took two years. I'm so thankful that I didn't get my own way. I'm so thankful that I didn't interpret God speaking and just do it the way I wanted to do it. Because in that two years, God grew me. God stretched me. He made me a bigger person. And I'm so, so thankful for that. Here's a question. What's the promise that God's giving you that maybe you're trying to make it work yourself? Maybe you're trying to make it happen. Remember, don't sit on your butt and just wait for God to do stuff. Take steps. But is there anywhere where you're going, well, that's what God's spoken. Can I shortcut it? Can I do this? Can I do that? Maybe you're single in this place. God spoke to you about he's going to give you a great partner one day. Who's single? Can I just see the show of hands? Who's single in this place? Come on. There you go. Great. Have a good look around. This is your moment. <laughs> this is your moment. Maybe afterwards you never know. You know, all the time, single people, this is what I always say to single people, is instead of trying so hard to get a partner, maybe try so hard to become the person that God needs you to be so that a partner will want to be with you. Ouch. <laughs> Don't try and shortcut the promise, because the promise will come in the right time. This is the third and the last point, is simply this. We need to be careful in the waiting who we let speak into our lives. Abraham was led astray by his own wife. Nobody look at their wife right now. David was told by his own men to take Saul's life. They even spiritualized it. They said, the Lord is with you today. They spiritualized this moment. If David had listened to the spiritual counsel of his men, he would have done the wrong thing. Abraham led astray by his wife, David by his men. The reality is this, we need godly counsel and godly people speaking into our promises and we need wisdom when it comes to timing. And that's why I love church so much because church is a perfect place to get wise counsel. 
Church is a perfect place to, to get under people who are wise. And you know what? Age doesn't automatically equal wisdom. I know some incredibly wise 31-year-olds. I know some incredibly dumb 70-year-olds. Anybody else? Age doesn't equal wisdom automatically. So don't just say, oh, gray hair, you must know everything. <laughs> no. Oh, young person, you don't know anything at all. It's not that at all. God puts anointings and calls and giftings on different people's lives. And so get around people who can actually speak life, speak wisdom into what you're doing. And they're not afraid to be real with you. I always give people this advice. If you're not close enough to anyone so that they can call you a jerk and you can remain friends, you're not close enough to someone. You need someone in your life that will say, hey, uh, I don't think that's the right thing, and create a little bit of friction, a little bit of accountability, so either they're correct or either it forces you to go deeper in prayer to really know what God's speaking to you about. The moment that, that God spoke to me about moving to the Philippines, I, I told my pastor and I told my, my dad. My dad is a pastor. He's my spiritual dad. I love him with all my heart. And it was a great moment. I, I called my dad. When I got back, I'm like, Dad, um, so crazy news. I feel like God's called me to move to the Philippines to start a church. And, and when I say move to the Philippines, not like move there as a missionary and take a furlough every four years and everything. Like to move, move. I'm going to die there. I'm going to raise my kids there. Like, I'm, I want to immigrate there. Right? And I'm expecting my dad to just, like, lose his mind on the phone, like, in a good way. You know, he'd lived there for 13 years of his life. They'd conceived and given birth to me in this nation. I'm thinking my, dad, my dad's from Newcastle, so he doesn't cry much because Newcastle men just don't cry. And, and, so, um, and so I'm expecting tears, though, for God to break through, you know, the fruit of my loins coming forth to bear fruit in the nation that I planted seeds. And, you know, I'm expecting this big, incredible God moment. And, and my dad on the phone just goes, oh, that's good. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Ex excuse me? He's like, no, nah, that's great. He goes, listen, um, why don't you take three months and pray about it? And I'm like, what? What do, you, what do you mean? He goes, well, just take, you know, you're emotional. First time you've been back in 12 years. Just take three months. I go, why? He goes, well, and he began to tell me this story. O over his time as a missionary, he had literally thousands of, of people come to the Philippines to do missions trips that came through from churches in Australia. They'd come over there, we're going to change the world. And they do a two-week mission trip, and they plant a tree, and then they leave. And so um, he had thousands and thousands of people that, that came. And in those thousands of people, he had hundreds of people, hundreds that would come up to him and be like, oh, my God, Chris. Chris, I got oh my God's breaking my heart for the I'm gonna sell everything in Australia. I'm gonna move here. I'm gonna oh my God, Chris. My heart's broke. He break my heart for what breaks his. It's broken already. Like it's done. I'm there. Oh my God. I wanna I'm gonna serve with you, Chris. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it, Chris. And my dad would look at them and go, Praise God. I'm so grateful that God's speaking to you. Why don't you take three months? and pray about it, and then call me in three months. And out of the hundreds that said that to him at the airport as they left, two people called him back. So in the wisdom that my father had, even though inside, and he told me later, he was jumping for joy, and his spirit was so overwhelmed and so alive because his son had told him that God had spoken to him and that he was going to go back to the country of his birth. And my dad hung up the phone and then got emotional. He gave wise counsel. And in three months, I called my dad. I said, Dad, it's been three months. He's like, yeah. And I said, the fire's even stronger. The emotion's gone, and now the fire's coming. He's like, awesome. Let's get you there. Wise counsel. You need wise counsel in your life, not just for people to say, yeah, that's amazing. What a great dream. You can accomplish anything. You need people to speak life into you, but you need people as well to actually have wise counsel from God that can begin to say, hey, great God dream, but yeah, maybe. Or have you thought? Or have you prayed? Or have you done? Who's speaking into those God dreams? When we're in the middle of the waiting, don't despise it. Take joy in it because you know that God is doing something incredible. And guess what? If you haven't walked in that promise yet, no matter your age, 
You're simply not ready. Keep going. That's why I love what it says in James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance, your, when you're in the waiting, your faith and your endurance can actually have a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance from being in the waiting is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Take joy. Some of us this morning need a word from God that in the middle of your frustration now, the word is this. Take joy. What? Why? Take joy. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is an emotion. Joy is a spirit. Joy means that even though it's frustrating, even though it's hard, even though I have 400 messed up men, I still am going to find my holy butt. Joy is that moment that we look for what God is doing, not what he isn't doing. You know the difference between negative and positive people is simply this. Negative people always look for the bad things, look for what God isn't doing. Positive people can see in the midst of horrible circumstances and negativity what God has done. We need joy in these moments. Joy in the moments. I was, um, I was 19 years old. I, I spent seven years in Melbourne uh, during my teenage years. And, uh, and I, I was 19 years old, and, and I'd moved away from Melbourne. Uh, I went back to the Philippines for my last year of high school and did my last year of high school. had an encounter with God, completely changed my life. I wasn't what you would describe a good Christian boy when I lived in Melbourne. And, uh, and so I remember um, it was about a year and a half after I finished school. I was living in Brisbane, and I came back to visit Melbourne, and I went to a, a large Christian school uh, over in Waverly in Melbourne. And the Christian school was attached to a, a big church. And so everyone from the school went to the church. And so all my friends were at this church one night. There's this big youth night. And so I went. And, and there's a little bit of this thing. Well, not a little bit, actually. There was a lot uh, of this thing of James Ayton is a Christian. James Ayton's a youth pastor because I'd become a youth pastor by that point. They're like, whatever. We'll believe it when we see it, right? Like, that was it. Whatever. We'll believe it when we see it. And so I'm walking into the youth group, and the youth pastor, who was kind of an older youth pastor, not even a kid, older youth pastor, I'm walking in, and, and he referred to me as a nickname that I used to have in high school, and uh, which, you know, it's not the best nickname. And so I walked in, and he's like, hey, what's up, Satan? If you say my name really fast, it's James Satan. I like to think that was the only reason why they called me that in high school. That's how I walk into this youth ministry, the youth pastor. I'm like, awesome. Yeah, paying the price for my childhood. Walk into the youth group, and it's a good night. And there's a guy preaching there by the name of Paul Gearley, uh, who I'd never met, who I didn't really know of. Since then, we've become quite close. He's like an older brother to me. So he does the whole thing. And all my friends are up. My friends are playing drums. My other friends are leading worship, and they're all youth leaders. And, and Paul stands up at the end uh, and, uh, of his preaching. And he's looking around, a very prophetic, gifted man. And he looks at me in the front row and he goes, hey, you. And I'm like, man, it's like I'm not even wearing my high-vis prophecy shirt. And, uh, and he goes, you, you shaggy, you the shaggy. Because at the time I had long blonde surfer hair. You know, I used to like do that all the time and you know, surfer and everything. And he goes, and, and he begins to prophesy over me. Unbelievable. Begins to prophesy where I'm at about the frustration that I was feeling about certain things and, and this. And then he begins to speak into my future. And he begins to say, God is building a foundation in you. And he's building a building. And this isn't a small building. It's a big building. So this foundation is going to take time because the longer the foundation, the bigger and the higher that this building is going to go. And you're going to be frustrated sometimes because he's going to build this foundation. And God is going to create you to become a leader in this nation, right? I mean, my friend nearly fell off the drums. I could hear people in the middle of the process going, oh, my God. Like, in just one moment, God was good to me because he kind of dealt with everyone in one moment. Here's, here's the amazing thing. Basically, all I heard was leader in the nation. And I'm like, Jesus, I'm ready to receive it. Let's do this tomorrow. I'm ready, Lord. You spoke. I'm ready. Let's do it. I'm 19 years old. I'm like, God, I got this. 
I'm an exceptional 19-year-old. I'm a once-in-a-generation leader. I can do this tomorrow. Thank Jesus it didn't happen the next day or the next week or the next year at all. And it was 20, I was 28 years old, nine years later, after I'd walked an incredible journey of highs and lows, after I'd had a mental breakdown at one point in my life, after I'd gone through the loss of someone so close to me, after I'd been built and grown and smashed and punched and built and grown and smashed and punched. Isn't that sometimes our Christian walk? And built and grown and smashed and punched. And I was 28 years old, and I just started running a, uh, uh, something called Youth Alive in Western Australia. And I remember sitting at our first meeting that I had with the National Youth Alive guys. I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting around the table, and all these guys that were around the table were all leading youth and young adult ministries and youth alive of all literally the biggest churches in Australia. And I was still quite a young man at 28 years old, sitting there kind of with a smaller youth group, you know, sitting there. And in that moment, God brought back to me that prophecy. You'll be a leader in the nation without your doing. And in that moment, you know what I said? I'm like, thank God it took nine years. And then secretly, I'm like, another two would have helped. Another two would have been good. But that that promise took nine years. I knew God spoke to me when I was 19 years old that I was going to pastor a church, that I was going to be the senior pastor of a church. I thought it would be in the, the suburbs of Brisbane. I thought I'd be with my dad. I'd wait till I was about 28, and he'd be about... 58, 59, I would begin his transition process. And then I would kick him out when he was about 60, 61, and I would take over. I'd be 30. You know, I'd just pay him to just, you know, go out in the grass and eat the grass, you know, put him out to pastures. That was, that was my thought. That was my plan. I, got, I knew God had spoken to me. But that took then a, uh, 12 years for me to hear that promise that I heard that should come to fruition and I started a church in the Philippines and my dad is still firing he's just built a new building for his church thank God my plan didn't come to pass or else my dad would be missing out on his calling right now and blessing people that he's doing and my mom and I'm walking my call but that took 12 years there's other promises that I haven't shared with you today that I know are going to take 40 and 50 years to come to fruition I've seen visions I've had prophetic words I've seen it in my mind but I know it's going to take 40 to 50 years am I frustrated with some of it yes Do I want it to happen now? Yes. But I know this, that without the waiting, I'll never grow and I'll never become the person that God needs me to be to fulfill the promise that he's given me. Is there anyone else that feels like you're in the waiting today? Just check up your hand and show me. Fantastic. Because in a moment, I'm going to ask all of you to get out of your seats and come down the front and we're going to pray and we're going to worship. And I just saw every person that put up your hand. So I'm going to expect every one person to actually take a step of faith because in the waiting, we need prayer because it's frustrating. In the waiting, it's difficult sometimes. In the waiting, it's, it's annoying. And in the waiting, sometimes we can lose our vision and we can lose our faith. But it's in the waiting where we grow. But before we do that, I want to give every person here the opportunity to actually come into a relationship with Jesus. Every time I preach in a church, I always ask and, and always try and really share Jesus with people. Because everything I've talked about, being in the waiting, God speaking to you, God being able to help you and love you, all of this is possible because 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross for our sins. And it says in Romans 3, 23, we've all sinned, which is amazing. We've all sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that such an encouraging verse? Why is that encouraging? It's encouraging because the person sitting next to you is not perfect. They're as much of a rat bag as what you are. Just look at them. Just look at him and say, I know. We all got issues. We all, we all got sin that we've dealt with, struggled with in our lives as we've all sinned. And in Romans 6, it says that that sin deserves death, which is life separated from God. But it doesn't end there, thank goodness. It goes on to say, but the free gift of Jesus Christ is eternal life. And so all we have to do is come and say, God, this is my sin humble ourselves enough to say this is my sin in my life and I need you Jesus to come and forgive me my sin and we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart which Romans 10 says that Jesus is Lord that he rose from the dead that he died for my sins and we will be saved so I just want to give you the opportunity whether this is the first time in church today maybe you've never ever done this before maybe this is the first time at church ever 
and you're sitting here and you're freaking out. It's like, wow, there's a band, this crazy white guy with an American accent that says he's Australian talking. Maybe you don't fully understand, but in your heart, you know, wow, what he's saying is real. Maybe you're here and you used to go to church, but something happened. Life happened, people happened. We're all flawed human beings. Maybe you're here today and, and you know you've walked away from a relationship with God. I'm not talking about a bad week or a bad month. We all have seasons, it's not that. But you know you don't have an active relationship with Jesus. Well, I wanna give you an opportunity today to respond, not to me and not even to this church, but straight to Jesus. And so it might be no one or it might be 20 people. I don't know, I don't care. But it's my responsibility to give every person that opportunity to have that moment with God, amen? So this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes in a moment. Then after we do this, we're all gonna stand. And if you put up your hand before, or maybe you didn't, but you know you, you got, you're in the waiting right now, I'm gonna invite you to come forward and we're gonna have a moment with God that I feel is gonna just speak to people. It's gonna give peace to people. It's gonna speak clearly from God to people in that moment. So can we all just close our eyes, maybe out of respect for the person next to you? And if you're any one of those two people, you're saying, James, that's me. I've never given my heart to Jesus. Or maybe I did a long time ago, but I walked away. On the count of three, all over this place, could you lift your hand nice and high? Because I want to pray for you right where you sit this morning. One, two, three. Just lift your hand right now if that's you. Awesome. Thank you in the front. Thank you in the middle. Thank you in the back. Is there anyone else that you would say yes to Jesus? It's awesome. Hey, for those three people that lifted your hand, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put your hand on your heart right now. And uh, Unihill Church, as a family today, we're all going to pray this prayer together. And it's simply doing what I said the Bible said. And, and, uh, and I want you to repeat this prayer after me, everyone together today. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today, and I ask you to forgive my sin. I believe that you died, but that you rose again. So come into my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Can you give God praise for the three people that just responded right now? That is so cool. Hey, if you lifted your hands, one of the team here at the church is just going to come and say hi to you afterwards and talk about that decision because the Christian walk is not meant to be done alone. It's meant to be done in family, to have discipleship and to make.